The following is a special on-location edition of Higher Journeys. Hi everyone, Alexis Brooks here from Higher Journeys, and I am so glad that you've decided to join me today for this, our third interview with none other than Linda Moulton Howe. I had the pleasure of interviewing her on location just a few weeks ago at the 2017 Contact in the Desert event out in Joshua Tree, California, warm and toasty Joshua Tree, California. Speaking of toasty, uh, before we get started with this conversation, which I know you're going to love, I want to present two little conditions, if you will. couple of things happened while we were in the depths of our discussion, really about 11 or so minutes prior to ending. Uh, Linda got an urgent call, an emergency essentially, and she had to wait to stop rolling tape immediately and have her take the call. Well, lo and behold, when we come to turn the camera back on and complete filming, didn't find this out till we got back, however, the footage was out of focus. That would be the last 10 or so minutes, really out of focus. And what we uh, think happened is because of the extreme heat, it was in excess of about 106 to 110 degrees. Camera couldn't take it. So we had a little bit of a meltdown. So I just wanted to let you know going into this that you're going to, what we decided to do is a little bit at the very tail end, just do an inset of the footage of Linda and I speaking, and I kind of threw in some visuals in there to distract you from looking at the camera uh, out of focus. We certainly don't want to stress out your eyes. The other thing, as always, when you're shooting outside, we did have some background noise, uh, the the bustling activity that was going on, such a well-attended conference. But the conversation is just so incredibly rich. Uh, We're talking about, is our universe a computer simulation? something that I hadn't heard Linda talk about uh, in the past. She's covered so many different issues, but we had a a beautiful discussion. So I hope you'll enjoy. And again, apologies for the little gaffe, but um, onward. Enjoy the show. Linda, you never cease to amaze me, my dear. Ever, ever, ever. Just, Just when I think you've covered your tracks completely, you are able to identify yet another area of complete interest in all of us trying to unravel the mystery of reality, the yeah. true nature of reality. And you gave a talk here, we're here at Contact in the Desert in beautiful Joshua Tree Retreat Center. And I looked at the title of your talk and I thought to myself, I've got to be there, got to see this and we're going to talk about this and as always, you never disappoint. We're talking about, is our universe a computer simulation? The moment I saw that headline, I thought, I know she's going to have some really, really interesting things to say about it. Um, and I want to get right into it. We don't have too long to talk because we're doing a lot of talking offline, right. <laughs> catching up since our last meeting. Um, but this is a big story. Yes. And it's, it's part of the tapestry, I think, of the UFO phenomenon. Really, everything that we look at and have, right. you have coined high strangeness. Yes. There's an interrelationship here. So let's get into the discussion about where you began on the journey of uncovering. Are we living in some sort of, literally, a a virtual reality? It was April of 2016, and there was a headline coming out of New York. Uh, Are we living in a simulated universe? And it was Neil deGrasse Tyson Mm -hmm. with Lisa Randall from Harvard uh, and a series of, they were physicists, they were uh, mathematicians, and one of them, James Gates from the University of Maryland. He studies supersymmetry and the math behind supersymmetry, which is related to string theory. 
and in the presentation at a museum of science in New York in front of a packed audience he showed and discussed that when he is studying at the subatomic level of quarks that he is finding the same mathematical language that we would use in the code between browsers in the computer network of this world to make error corrections. And he asked at this big packed museum science panel, why would we be finding error correction code in the subatomic world? He had me hooked with that question. So over the past year, I have now talked with physicists, mathematicians, I have been at Caltech, I have interviewed a lot of people. And it's boiling down to this whole question. If there is zeros and ones, which is minuses and pluses, right. embedded into the very fabric of this universe, from the singularity, which is one of the most recent papers, that they're finding information code embedded throughout this entire universe. Again, reinforcing the question, if there are pluses, minuses, ones and zeros embedded in this universe, are we in a computer simulated creation? And mm -hmm. if so, why? And would that explain why in this universe, a question that's been being asked by physicists for 30 years, why is this on a razor edge between no life ever possible and life? We are right there from Planck's constant to the speed of light to everything that is going on. It is engineered, some people say, engineered for life. And then if you go to where we are in the spring of 2017, mm -hmm. the number of science papers that are now beginning to be submitted to major science journals, including one that is going to go with a Caltech mathematician, a physicist, Tom Campbell, yes. and that group, and they're saying they're convinced that this is a computer simulation, so now they're going to the world in this new paper and they're giving different alternatives. Can other physicists help us do XYZ tests? And they think it's possible that within a year that we might actually have firmer data that would say this is a computer simulation. Right, right. Now, once you get to that, who created the simulation? Are we talking about a god that has been in human literature for the last 5,000 or so years? Are we talking about another intelligence in another universe, another dimension? And right now, the, the language that the mathematicians and the physicists are using to kind of get around the philosophical religious question mm -hmm. If this is simulated, is it holographic mm. or is it just zeros and ones? And this is a very important distinction. It is. Physicist Tom Campbell says there's no need for projection. But when you say, well, then where would the zeros and ones come from to create the universe? Mm -hmm. He will simply say that is the one piece of my hypothesis that I cannot prove nor can I lay out beyond saying 
that there just is a consciousness that could do that, which is a little bit unfair. But then jump over to the holographic universe. Right. But that is that in another dimension, there is a technology, literally, that can project the XYZ three dimensions plus time fourth of our universe mm -hmm. for reasons unknown, but that the projection from another dimension is theoretically in math language now on this planet. And if there is a consciousness that has done this, would it be that it wants to experiment with why would life evolve in the first place? Mm -hmm. And that is exactly what Jerry Wills, um, a contactee who had a, an amazing experience in Peru, where he wanted to go to Ramamuru, the famous uh, gate, uh, it's a rock, and the uh, Amira Indians there have always said that in this, it's 21 feet high, long, it's huge, but there is a tiny embedded door of about six feet. Uh -huh. So a six foot nine inch Jerry Wills has to bow down to get his head against the smaller door, which is the key. The Amira Indians, including a shaman, worked with Jerry Wills because he wanted to try whatever was historic about this wall. He said, I want to see if I can go to another dimension. He literally wanted to. So they taught him a frequency, a repeating frequency, which he will not share, with his forehead in a place that is in the door. It's like curved in. Where it came from, who knows? But the Amara Indian says this place has been there since they saw this rock. So he's on his knees with his forehead and he is trying to get a frequency, which the shaman says, the key to going through and back out of this rock door is being able to repeat a certain frequency. And Jerry Wills tries this at night, uh, 11 o'clock, with his new bride, and she is witness. This is very, very important. She is witness to what happened. She's 100 feet away, and she sees her new husband literally evaporate, dissolve what happens, and he is gone. Dematerialized. And she watched this, and she knew this is what he wanted to do. It actually scared her. Well, of course. <laughs> Where he went, Jerry said the very first thing that he knew is that it felt like He's on his knees, but it felt like that his body stood up and started moving backwards. He said, imagine that you're walking backwards and you go suddenly down a cliff that seems an endless cliff. And he said he still had the human reaction that you do when you're falling. It's a right. horrible, horrible Again, just feeling. for clarity, this was after his he, bride witnessed him yes, dematerialize. Yes. This is the experience this he is, came back to This tell, is what he's experiencing. Okay. So now he's falling. He feels horrible. He can't get any matter. No, there's nothing around him. He's just falling. And then stars, galaxies. Now he's moving forward. He has no idea what is taking over him. But 
as he is moving forward, all of a sudden, there is like a transition he does not understand at all. But instead of being out in the galaxies from that perspective and feeling like that he's inside of something, he actually intuitively felt, what am I in? But I'm in something moving through this. Right. He finds himself suddenly all white light. Everything, as far as he can see it, it's all white. And he's a very practical, down-to-earth guy mm -hmm. having this. Mm -hmm. And he does this with his boot. And he said it feels like plastic. And then he says, hello, is anybody here? And he does this several times, not having a clue where he is. And then, all of a sudden, he said it was a deep male voice, only either... PA like a like a broadcast speaker or in his his mind he wasn't sure which but it comes in and says who are you and he says I'm Jerry Wills and the voice says where are you from and he said I'm from earth and the male voice said oh earth as if with knowledge what unfolded was a dialogue that is fascinating about the fact that the voice says you're in the universe that we created. Oh my goodness. And then takes Jerry into seeing a laboratory, a mass of blackness, has twinkly like points of light, has uh, sort of fuchsia col colored rods. And Jerry doesn't understand what he's looking at at all. And then this deep voice said, we're in a different dimension than yours. This is a laboratory. We wanted to study how could life evolve? Where did a universe come from? That's what they wanted to know, which is what we on Earth today are trying to do in the Large Hadron Collider in Geneva. Absolutely. Yeah. And then says we this is you're looking at a point in the evolution of a universe that we created and a spark of light came one day in this and it didn't stop growing and we became extremely concerned that we were now involved with producing something in a laboratory that was going to destroy us and take over referring our to earth that, or referring and, and to this says, dimension. This light is your universe, and that they put this technology around their lab experiment to stop it from overtaking their lab and their world, and that Jerry says, this is where you are from. And then they have a discussion about the dimensions of universes and this is what this deep voice says. In our experimentation, we learned that we are inside of another universe and that your universe now is next to ours. And so universes are nestled together. And Jerry got the firm idea that if you just swept your hand at any point on this planet, that you literally not knowing it, there are other dimensions, but this is the final key, just like the frequencies of the rock door. The voice in Jerry 
we're trying to come up with the metaphor. If you have a piano and you play middle C, E, and G, this, each one is its own frequency. Absolutely. And you can hold the three as long as you are interacting and keeping those frequencies activated, you will have a chord. Writ large, that we are in a cosmos, perhaps an infinite number of notes. Think of each universe as a note frequency. Mm -hmm. Good at Harvard thinks this. He hypothesized infinite universes 15, 20 years ago. But how would it work right. for the first time? Talking with Jerry Wills about this unbelievable experience in Peru, it's just finally occurring to me. The symphony of the spheres. It's Music an old Greek concept. Pythagoras, right. You could have a billion, trillion notes, frequencies below and above, and that we could be in what we'll call a note in this universe that has X, Y, Z, W is time, and then maybe seven more of the curled up uh, dimensions. And the universe next to us might have completely, completely different combinations, but it would be another note. Right. And this was the final. Okay. Jerry began to panic and said, how do I get back? I have a new bride. I need to get back, and the voice said, I'll, I'll help you get back. And Jerry said, well, how long have I been here? And the voice said, our time is completely different than uh -huh. your time. And Jerry got suddenly the impression that if it were seconds or minutes or a billion years or whatever it was on Earth, that in this laboratory, in this dimension, where they were experimenting with universes, maybe seconds. In our time, that we can measure. Yeah. Or in there, there, it might be a billion years here and seconds. And that he got the impression that whatever was happening in that dimension, that the time differential between that universe and this one was so great that the laboratory experiment that he was being shown might have happened last year in that universe. Right. And it could have been, what, 13.8 billion years in our time, because that's the age we have of the universe. If this is beginning to give an insight into the truth, then the interview with Tom Campbell, physicist, who said... Which I want to talk about, yes. This universe is an entropy reduction trainer for souls, goes to the heart of all questions that begin to evolve in my mind, your mind, and any audience. If this is simulated, if there are other dimensions, if there are scientists in other dimensions that are trying to create other universes in a lab, and the big question is, where does this stop? Mm -hmm. Where does it hook into the divine field? Is the divine field responsible for all of this? Yeah. Tom Campbell will say yes, that there is another field, and then there are all these matter worlds, and that the whole bottom line for everything 
is the recycling of souls. Recycling of souls. And that the divine field starts out wanting everything that it puts out into no matter how many matter universes wants the life entity, the soul entity, over an, we could say, trillions of years, mm -hmm. which is in completely indifferent to the divine field. It wants every soul entity to ulti ultimately choose to go back to the divine field and then the whole thing might be over. But right. in the process, suddenly, as Tom Campbell and I were talking about this, good and evil, yin and yang, plus minus, war, polarity, peace, right. love, Well, what hate. happens with that? Are all bets off there? I mean, well, this is what Campbell's perspective and probably the philosophers of the ages would agree. If this is a trainer for souls, this universe, uh -huh. you can't learn, you can't evolve if you don't have tension and choice and free will on issues that would boil down to the metaphor of the yin and the yang. In some ways, that ancient symbol is probably the very heart essence of this universe. You have a black center in the white sphere, and you have a white center in the black sphere of yin and yang. Mm -hmm. And that the interaction between plus, positive and negative, on both sides are what sustains this universe. And in the process, every single soul in every single container, no matter humans to reptiles, to blondes, to greys, to whatever else is out there, everything is being put through some kind of a filter. Mm -hmm. And the filter is, are you gonna choose light, love, and life, mm -hmm. or are you going to choose death, darkness, and That's war? where the choice comes in. Well, listen, I wanna bring this up, and you just, so many things I've taken copious notes, <laughs> but I have to having been to your talk yesterday, which was absolutely brilliant and just full of chock full of information. You. you had some great testimony with Tom Campbell and the, the issue. And we all know Tom Campbell for his big toe. That's right. <laughs> that's how you can recognize that's him by his right. big toe, his big theory of Three everything. books. That's right. Yeah, that's right. But one thing that I felt so admirable and virtuous and, and insightful, uh, for him to mention is the issue of ethics when it comes to understanding the true nature of reality. That there is, regardless of the fact that we have a choice uh, to choose good or evil, one side or the other, there is a formula in, uh, and I, I'm going to paraphrase because I came up with a little, a little quote of my own, cooperation reveals and ego conceals. That's Am I summing really up what very, he said? That's really Cooperation very reveals, and I wrote that down. Yes. That's how I distilled what he was saying. In other words, in order to, because we're really just talking about those of us that are truly interested in understanding the process of how reality works, right. the true nature of reality, choose, if you will, but in the, cho the choice of cooperation, altruism, love that's right it is that door opener that jerry wells yeah. found i'm gonna go from that to this because there's just again so many things i am determined to get into this conversation let's talk about the doors for a minute and this story and you 
in in the talk yesterday, and I don't know if it was the testimony of, of Jerry Wills that I was listening to when I came in. I think we were in the you were in the middle of that, but the 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 process of overlapping universes. I'm going to just throw out a few concepts here. Overlapping universes, doorways, or we could say portals. The, the term doorways were used into other parts of this planet. That's right. Reminded me. Have you seen the movie The Adjustment Bureau? I have not seen. You it. must see that movie, and for anyone that's seen it, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's based, and I'm not going to get into the, the premise of the movie, but it's based on an idea that there are indeed doorways that can be crossed throughout this planet, probably vortices, but they were portrayed as doorways. And uh, Matt Damon, who portrays the uh, the, char the main character, while wearing a particular hat, if he's wearing this hat, will have access to these doorways. He may be in, um, I don't know, one part of Manhattan, and interestingly, he had what would become his bride, his, his, his love, and they're running throughout Manhattan he brings her to a doorway, the door opens, and all of a sudden they're at Yankee Stadium. And then through another doorway, and she's looking, going, what is going on? I wouldn't be a bit surprised if some of the material in the Adjustment Bureau is based on Jerry Wells, because there's something very interesting there. Well, there are two. So I had to get that in. Well, thank you, because <laughs> this is really important, and two mm. things come to mind. Back as far as 1982, and I had produced A Strange Harvest, 79 to 80, and the first broadcast was 80. That's when I started getting people who were working in Lockheed Martin or Martin Marietta or someplace. I would, back then we didn't have computers, and, and so you'd get a phone call or you'd get a letter. And I got a phone call from a man who worked at Martin Marietta in Denver, and he said, there's there's something really important that you need to understand and so a meeting came and I was extremely innocent when I look back to 1982 but I think he was absolutely telling the truth he said that he had personally been involved in an engineering project in Sedona Arizona where there was an, a place in a canyon that they knew that the magnetic fields of the earth on a natural cycle would collapse and that what would come through these collapses in the magnetic field of the earth could be UFOs, aliens, other dimensional beings mm -hmm. and that they built a brick building without windows surrounding and he drew it for me a particular kind of machine that would 24-7 365 be emanating some kind of a counter frequency to keep the magnetic fields from collapsing because, he said, we know that other intelligences are coming through these, and we use the word portal, that's right. what it would come, when there is this natural collapse and we're doing this around the world. All brick buildings surrounding technology that would run forever to counteract magnetic field collapses. Interesting. And from there, you could jump to Lieutenant Colonel Philip J. Corso in the book The Day After Roswell. He and I sat in a restaurant talking about this for a long time. I was very interested that he named nine places in his book about what? 
where magnetic fields of this planet naturally would collapse and they knew that other dimensional intelligences could come through and that we were actively aware of counteracting on these nine places on this planet. If the collapse of magnetic fields opens up doorways or opens up portals, like time machines, Yes. So it means that the universe may be built to have huge 13.9 billion light years in size, but have built in through uh, these collapsing magnetic fields that if you learn about them and you know how to do it, you can move point to point in the universe, which may be how Jerry Wills got from the Aramamuru rock to this other dimension. And did, it, did he collapse the magnetic field by virtue of what he was told to do in getting into this frequency? That's the question. I would say two What's plus the two. impetus for collapsing a magnetic field? Is it happening as a natural uh, selection or, or is there something else going well, on? Can we, we instigate that? Remember, <clears throat> I, he, he learned, learned. Yeah, he <laughs> learned that uh, he learned actually from the voice and the shaman that when people over the last five, 10,000 years had seen tall beings come through that rock and walk around, that they were scientists from another dimension that were checking on their experiment and that they were trying to wear gear that would match to the whatever it was, the life that they knew was here so that they would stick out, but that they always stuck out because they were six foot nine. Mm -hmm. Well, the idea to me is uh, it's logical that if we've been working to counteract magnetic field collapses under our control, then mm -hmm. use magnetic field collapses in our own technology to move, mm -hmm. that that would be the key to all of the frequency discussions. And then frequency ties back to what we were talking about ethics in right. this universe. Because another name for all of this would be the laws of karmic cycling and recycling. Uh -huh. The karma has always been defined as what you do, what you think will determine where you go Absolutely. at the moment of, we call it death on this side, birth in another dimension that is referred to as heaven or hell here. Uh -huh. Nevertheless, it is the same concept that uh, Tom Campbell is talking about, that Jerry Wills, that it isn't the end, that it's a recycling, a recycling. and they're going to different frequencies that then will have some access to a different portal at the birth, death, and that it just keeps going in this gigantic Rube Goldberg machine. Oh unbelievable, <laughs> unbelievable. This is a perfect place to pause. We're going to do it really quick because when we come back, I want to segue into the birth-death cycle, the afterlife. And if we're living in a computer simulation, how does that affect the environment that is called the afterlife? So on the other side of this break, we're going to tackle that. We'll be right back. Join the HeartMath Institute and the Global Coherence Initiative for Activating the Global Heart, Facilitating the Planetary Awakening. November 1st through the 5th, 2017, at the beautiful Riviera Maya on the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico. 
This will be a transformative retreat like no other, where you will get to experience reconnection, renewal, and uncover the next steps in your purpose and mission. Your event hosts, HeartMath's Roland McGrady, Howard Martin, and Deborah Rosman, all experts in the field of heart intelligence, will personally guide you on this incredible journey. At this, our sixth annual Mexican retreat, you will learn heart awakening techniques for raising the baseline of your spiritual awareness, demystify intuition, increase and maintain emotional composure during times of chaos and tension, in addition to many more life-changing heart-based techniques that will advance your empowerment and bring much greater clarity, purpose, and fulfillment to your life. To learn more about this unique event and to register, be sure to visit heartmath.org and click on the Activating the Global Heart link. But hurry, space is limited. We look forward to seeing you in Mexico, November 1st through the 5th, for Activating the Global Heart, facilitating the planetary awakening. Okay, we're back, and I want to jump right into, again, look, there are infinite numbers of angles that we can tackle this idea. This is bigger than the idea that this is just a computer simulation. We got whoever, Sorry, Michael have... Tellinger just walked yeah. by everybody. So. Yeah, he's a <laughs> cool is, guy. Yeah. Let's get into how the idea of this being a computer simulation affects our ideas about what we call the afterlife. In your presentation yesterday, you let us hear the testimony of an abductee that you interviewed named Paul and among other things, stunning things that he talked about in his description of the birth and death cycle or life and afterlife if you will right. life being a progression of time and how we see time is linear of past, present and future in the once we leave the physical container and go back into sort of the wave aspect of looking at it from a quantum perspective, rather than time existing in the same way, some speculate that it doesn't exist at all, he speculates or he feels that time reverses, uh, regresses, and rather than the individual, let's say they passed at 80, rather than becoming 81, 82, 83, right. they go 79, 70, and so on. Right. This is what occurred to me, Linda. How many times have we heard of individuals, I'm sure you've talked to them, who have dreamt of loved ones, maybe seen an apparition of a loved one, and invariably they appear younger? Oh, yeah. It is such Does a, that not jive with what Paul is talking about? It is such a good point. Uh, I've had the experience of seeing my own mother uh, who died at age 84 and then coming back in the most vivid way to me uh, in almost like a field out here I was not unconscious I was not dreaming this was like she came in ah. front of me okay. and she w looked like she did in photographs when she was 30 and was in this was so interesting to me she was wearing a Grecian type gown mm -hmm. my mother never wore anything like that during her life and then I thought what is the relationship of the Greeks in our ancient past that were responsible for teaching so much in terms of math and science and another dimension that we might go to after the moment of death right in which the Grecian clothes are what are prevailing there and that my mother 
in some way was able to come like a window in front of me and show me that she was there and looked beautiful and vibrant. And young. 30 years old and wearing this gorgeous white and you know it's like you want to mom I know you're there right well in this and he was an abductee uh, I call him Paul when he had this experience and this abduction in which a gray being in some sort of a craft shows him three dimensional holograph of a piece of the universe, shall we say. And Paul gets all of this download that we are in a universe in which time goes to the future. Right. And that there are matter worlds in this universe where time goes to the future and the gray being as if saying, this is what you know. And entropy dominates your universe because the vector of time goes to the future. Energy is winding down to zero everywhere in this universe, including the death of humans. Right. So the being says to him telepathically that here are ten universes paired. Here's your universe right next door to this universe. And they're not talking about these other eight in this universe that is somehow right next to ours the vector of time goes to the past you can't break you can't die the sky is white the suns are black the colors are completely different and the being says to Paul in your universe what you're not understanding is at the moment of death you've heard about the tunnel you've heard about going through a tunnel but that is truly a change of charge from Ah. your universe for your soul entity to go into this universe and then Paul sees in his mind proton here that would be positively charged the being is showing him is negatively charged the electron instead of negative is positive everything is the opposite and Paul has the experience of somehow as the being points at the universe right next to, to ours he now is moving and seeing the white sky and the black dots and the colors and everything. The virtual opposite. Absolutely Almost the like the Earth is turned inside out. Well, or the universe. The, or the universe, the rather, universe. The Earth. Yeah, yeah, completely opposite. And then comes the bottom line kicker in this, where the being telepaths to Paul. When you are in this universe and time vector goes to the future then you continue to get younger and younger and he's being shown a baby then goes through a tunnel mass charge again and comes into existence in this universe and Paul said Linda it's like it is a conveyor belt between these two universes and then what is going on between the other eight that are paired And if there is this size, this complexity to the recycling of souls, it could explain 
so much. Something like the Avatar Buddha. Yeah. Who almost, it's as if he came trying to knock on all consciousness and say, if you got past desire, and in my frame of reference, in Buddha's teachings, desire means everything in which you are making choices and you are active and the ethics of life is related to desire and the Buddha's bottom line was if you can go past desire to no desire, to no desire. then you will no longer be in what he called the wheel of the recycling uh, of reincarnation. That's how we break that reincarnational cycle. And that Isn't may that be what something? the divine field is waiting for every soul to do. Isn't that powerful? Yes, I think so. We would be remiss if we did not bring up the brilliant work of who my audience knows I mention just about every time I get the opportunity, and that's Michael Talbot. Yeah. The holy holographic universe changed my life. Yes. It really set yeah. me on a course of understanding some of the things that we're yeah. touching on today. Let's talk about that. Yeah. I hope that you you would be able to reveal something. I don't know if yes. this is on the record about yes. Michael Talbot. There are a lot of things that we know about this brilliant, gone too soon man. I actually know several people that had worked with him and revealed some things that surprised even yeah. me. But this one, yeah. I hadn't heard until yesterday. Yes. Who was he really? Yes. And how was he uh, yes. Related, let's just say, to Bud Hopkins' work. I was at a conference, and I think it was in the Midwest, and this would have been uh, 1994 when the book, The Holographic Universe, uh, by Michael Talbot had come out, and it was a big discussion at this UFO conference. Mm -hmm. Bud Hopkins was there talking about abductions. I was there talking about animal mutilations, a, a normal conference. But everybody, well, mine had been set on fire by the holographic universe. For good reason. So uh, Bud and I went to the airport together because he lived in New York. I lived in Philadelphia at the time. And we ended up sitting next to each other on the plane. Mm. And at one point, Bud said, I want to tell you something confidentially. He said, this book that we were all talking about at the conference, The Holographic Universe, well, the author, Michael Talbot, has been one of my abduction cases for a long time. I was completely shocked. Isn't and then something? Bud said, he doesn't want anyone to know that he is an abductee with UFOs and ETs because then they wouldn't read his book. Yeah, or it would lose credibility at a, at a minimum. Yeah, but he I said, understand. Michael told me long ago, he'd been working on this book, that the whole book was a download from the other intelligences that had been taking him in abductions, the whole book. Or the premise of the whole book, would, would, well, would you say? That, that the, the model. Evolution, the chapter, and the whole idea right. of a holographic right. universe had been downloaded to Isn't him. Isn't that something? I only bring that up is because it's so research-rich in terms of the people that he uses or interviews or oh, yes. quotes to support it. Carl Prebrim, David Bohm, yeah. we're going to talk about that, etc. cetera. Uh, Itzhak Bentoff, uh, you name it. So many individuals that... Um, that he just put a brilliant thesis together to support yes, it. Yes, and I got um, the impression from Bud that the very people that he, M Michael Talbot 
interviewed in the book mm -hmm. was all part of a fabric that was being somehow guided, downloaded, downloaded I agree. by I, yeah. an alien intelligence that wanted this concept out. And one of the things about work that humans do that seem to be guided, forced energetically by mm -hmm. something else. I have come to feel that we are in a universe where there are allies and that the allies are coming from other dimensions, whether you want to call them guardian angels or whatever word, whatever but there really are unseen forces that push us in our lives and that when something is critical, like the change of the entire paradigm of human minds that have been bogged down by old, old concretized ideas that are wrong and something comes in and pushes. Michael Talbot in the holographic universe was one of those pushes and today in 2017 everywhere I'm getting it from human abductions that are not even on TV or radio right. and they're saying and military people have had experiences if humanity right now does not advance more rapidly there may not be a survival of humans. destination for transformation all right we're back for one more quick segment I wish it wasn't going to be quick because this is obviously something that warrants lots and lots of conversation but thank you for sharing that uh, that story about Michael Talbot um, I remember what I I had never had the opportunity to meet him but I felt like I knew him I felt a resonance with his material and with his heart and right. to discover that he died at such a young age made me sad. One uh, year after the book came out. Yes. There, there, there's something about, interesting about that as well, and unfortunately we won't be able to get into that now. It's but like the angels came in through Michael. You've done he your job. Out. Now right. it's time to bring, make you younger and yes. put you back on that conveyor belt. He may, we may be, he may be amongst us right That's now. That's right. Who knows? That's right. Let's talk about David Baum. Speaking of holographic universe, because Michael definitely uh, borrowed some very, very uh, critical material from Baum's ideas of... Um, a holographic model for reality. That is really how I got to know his work, Wholeness in the Implicate Order, which is a brilliant work. I actually have recently uh, met someone who w worked under David Baum. I was couldn't couldn't get enough of hearing about that. But let's talk about something. Anybody that is familiar with the work of David Baum will obviously be familiar with what he called the Implicate Order, Wholeness in the Implicate Order, but also the Explicate. Thinking of the Implicate as an enfolding 
right. and an explicate as literally an unfurling or unfolding right. reminds me of this and I want you to comment on this because we have to bring the UFO subject back into this. We, this wouldn't be a proper Linda Moulton Howe interview if we didn't. <laughs> but what occurred to me, Linda, is I just recently, as I thought about that process, that warping, wefting, and ebbing and flowing, and blinking in and out, That's right. the blinking in and out of craft yeah. that so many talk yeah. about, might that be illustrative of what, in an aspect of what Bulma's talking about, infolded and unfolded? Does that... I understand what you're asking, and I guess the first thing that oversimplified. Comes, I'm oversimplifying, and I'm sure. Yeah. The, but the first thing that comes to mind is this whole issue of how many dimensions are there? Right. Are there eleven, like in Stringfield? Uh, are there twenty-one that others are suggesting? Are there an infinite number? And the reason why it's relevant. When I first read. Uh, Bohm's Implicate Order book, it was it was just like touching a 220-volt circuit. For me. <laughs> and I, I've never forgotten one of the sentences in there where he said, mass, all mass, is frozen light. Yeah, now, that's photon energy that moves at 186,000 miles a second in this universe. Are there other universes and dimensions without photons? With without photons, photons going at a different speed? Mm. And why this becomes, I think, the, some of the main questions that you have to think about when you go to alien intelligence. If we're in a universe where there are certain rules, 186,000 miles a second is the speed of light, that Planck's constant, if you moved one decimal point, one trillionth, we would not be able to hold papers if this hand changed this tiny fraction of Planck's constant, which is keeping the protons, the electrons, and the quarks at a certain distance from each other, that makes this hand do this in what we'll call this universe's rules currently. If you moved it a tiny bit and I tried to pick up the papers, my hand would go literally right through right everything, through it. Right. right? Okay, right. now, wow. hang on to that and think about that we could be dealing with alien intelligences that do come from another dimension. And they have learned how to take advantage of manipulating magnetic fields in this universe or any universe they want to go. Well, what if their so-called Planck's constant essentially makes them not be able to be solid matter in this dimension? Mm -hmm. But they can still come in, they can still do work. And once they have been in this universe and they know the rules in this universe, they can make any android or robot that they want mm. to do work in this universe forever, and they, in their dimension, never have to come in. Isn't that universe. something? This, to me, is closer to what I guess my own perception is, and that when Bohm's unfolding and infolding, what he's basically, to me, the bottom line is, he was talking about 
that the rules and the machinery of this universe are hidden from us. Mm -hmm. And we live in a matter world where we say there's X, Y, Z matter and W, if you want to put it, is fourth dimension. And physicists today argue about whether there are other dimensions in this universe, but the bottom line is whatever we have in the alien intelligence, it understands better than any Homo sapiens sapien on Earth the background machinery, the mathematical language, the zero and one fabric of a universe that may be something else made to study life. And it doesn't have to come in here in a matter form. And when it does send in certain technologies, that could explain what I've seen with my own eyes, where something that looked like a long yellow sparkler, this was in Gulf Breeze, Florida. There were four of us down on the beach at a mm -hmm. conference. And we all happened at the same time to be looking at the same place in the sky. And all four humans yelled at the same time, look at that. Right. And what we were looking at was banana colored. It was sparkling. You've heard people say it looked like a sparkler. And it moved maybe 30 degrees in the sky with all four of us watching. So he popped in, moved, sparkler, banana, and popped out. And at that moment, on that beach, two guys, two women, remember we all said, I don't think this came from here. I think that came from someplace else. It was so weird mm. that the mind, the only place you could put it was, this looks like a 4th of July sparkler, but it's banana and it's moving and it's long. So something's and out of place here. Technology from Jerry Will's laboratory could pop into this universe be there for two and a half seconds, pop back out, how long did it go in the dimension right. next door? This is where... We've come full circle now. And Bohm, Bohm coming into the idea that there are hidden mathematical formulas, languages, and math in this universe that are hidden. And that when you open it up we are the result mm. we are the theater out front all of that mathematical language that is enfolded in this universe is probably accessible to other intelligences and that is why I think that the whole UFO phenomenon has appeared to some people to be almost like a chimera they can't get their hands on what our government may have, hard, concretized, craft, and bodies. Well, those concretized, craft, and bodies, I'm convinced, came from this universe. But all this other phenomena of people having a hole open up in their bedroom, shadow people coming out of the hole. In excess, absolutely, yes. This is where you get into another reality that is as real as uh, XYZW, that other dimensions can penetrate other dimensions. And right now, there are physicists that are working at the Large Hadron Collider in Geneva, 
and they want to run, run that whole machine up at a high level and see if they could create some mini black holes to do this. And Bohm would be cheering them on. The hypothesis is, if we can create in a lab, like Jerry Will's voice, many black holes and we can measure gravity waves, which we now have discovered, if gravity waves move into a black hole, mm -hmm. will they move out of a black hole? And that would be the link, the handshake, at a physics level between this dimension and another. Question mark, exclamation point, overlapping universes, the afterlife, computer simulation. This is a conversation that's just beginning. I hope you all will have conversations amongst yourself. This is important stuff for those of us that are on the quest to understand even just a little bit about the true and authentic nature of reality. I hope that we have um, stimulated your interest in learning more. What can I say, my friend? Thank you so much. Thank you. Always a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Linda Moulton Howe, everyone. Thank you. And we will see you soon. Wowie. That was deep. <laughs> I've seen this at this point probably three or four times, obviously being in production on it. And every time I watch it, I pick up something new. We're talking, looking at the possibility of reality, the reality that we experience every day as being nothing more. I shouldn't say nothing more, but certainly not what we think it is, a computer simulation. We covered the afterlife. We covered, uh, we looked at the whole holographic implication with the work of Michael Talbot, uh, David Bohm, and of course, uh, my big toes, Tom Campbell. We're going to have some links pertaining to all of these things accompanied with this interview because I think this is something certainly worth looking into more and more as the rabbit hole gets infinitely deeper. So I thank you for joining me on the set of Contact in the Desert. 2017, Joshua Tree, California. It was such a pleasure to do, and as always, uh, a real treat to have a chat with Linda Moulton Howe. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you soon. Take care. <laughs>